Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. I know I'm one of the few people they can find that hasn't done it, Gavin, but just tell them I, I don't want to be the governor of Virginia. The following podcast contains... Can't fire a guy for cursing. No, I, I'm not upset by cursing. I, mean, I love cursing. I love it. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you're over the age of 17 and you put anything in a yearbook, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, February 8th, 2019. I saw a white face and they're all painted black edition of the show where we talk about white people's obsession with shoe polish and dance moves. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Flightless Bird Shoe Polish, who wants you to know it's meant for your shoes, not your face. For decades, Flightless Bird Shoe Polish has helped America shine and protect their shoes and boots for, for some reason, thoughtlessly and callously represent African Americans in college dorm rooms and house parties. Flightless Bird would like to remind you that it is not an intended use of our product. In fact, it's offensive and extremely difficult to remove from your pasty-ass white skin. The oils and coloring in our product are specifically designed to protect and beautify a shoe leather, not to be slathered all over your crack of ass in a racist attempt to be funny. Flightless Bird Shoe Polish. Put it on your shoes, not your face. If you want people to know you're a racist, they make red hats for that. Total for three years of law school. Wait a second, look at this. Full tuition for the most qualified applicant. Most qualified black applicant. $53,000. $979. Don't you think you're overreacting? No. Congratulations, Mr. Watson. Thank you, sir. I'll do my best. Some people will do anything to get into Harvard. It's gonna be great! These are the 80s, man! It's the Cosby decade! For Mark Watson, all it took was a little soul. I'd like you to meet my good friend, Kareem Abdul Ali. We got Washington here on the coin toss, so he'll take Leon. That's Watson. Right. Sorry, Marcus. Yeah, there may be a problem here. Your roommate was a, uh... <clears throat> what? A black Negro. A black Negro? You know, there's something really strange about you, and I don't know what it is. Oh, God, is she beautiful? You gotta believe me. You must have learned a great deal more than you bargained for. Don't tell her I'm white. Don't tell her you're white! What's going on? Can we blame him for the color of his skin? Mom, Dad, I'm black. What? what? No, you're crazy. Mark Watson. Come on now! From the producer of Risky Business, Soul Man. He didn't give up. He got down. Got on. He really hates... I've talked before about how growing up with a thick southern accent outside the deep south earned me my, I don't know, fair share of grief and good-natured ribbing from my elementary school peers. I was bullied for years and years. So in learning to scour every trace of that accent, in essence, learning how to speak all over again, it gave me a knack for accents and imitation. I mean, basically, I learned to speak without my accent by imitating other people who don't have my accent. And this also meant that I was good at imitating 
other people's accent because I learned the same way from television and movies. But the problem was my study material being television and movies and largely old television and movies, that meant my exemplars were not what one would consider culturally sensitive. And that was fine when it came to say, I don't know, English accents or being Colonel Clink from Hogan's Heroes. But when it came to, I don't know, Mickey Rooney from Breakfast at Tiffany's? In 30 seconds, I got to call the police! All the time, a disturbance! I cannot sleep! I got to get to my rest! I'm an artist! I got to call the bike squad on you! Don't be angry, you dear little man. I won't do it again. You promised not to be angry, I might let you take those pictures we mentioned. Oh, no. That didn't work so well. But you know what? When I did those voices, people laughed. And I mean laughed with me, not at me. And if there's one thing that I knew is that people thought you were funny, they weren't kicking your ass. So I built a choir of voices and characters from around the world, all based on the worst representations of Hollywood and television. I had voices for Asians and Arabs and Hindus, Native Americans, and oh, my jive voice. I speak jive. Oh, good. Oh, I mean, it was an awful thing to do, but people laughed. And more than any other voice, the one wildly inappropriate dialect that earned more laughs than all the others combined was me, a ginger-haired, chubby white kid, speaking flawlessly as an old Jewish man from New York City. Everyone loved that. Even my parents, who blessed their heart, were born without a sense of humor. So today, even today, I know that doing these voices is wrong, and I've stopped all of them. I, I mean, I, 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 there's just this one, though that I can't stop doing, the one exploitation and cultural appropriation because I still love it so much. I don't do it to mock or degrade. It's out of reverence for the men who gave me so much joy in my life. I'm still going to keep doing this accent. I can't stop myself. I just can't. I, I don't want to imitate Mel Brooks. I want to be Mel Brooks, who, uh, you know, has some cultural appropriation issues of his own. Big is in. Take off. As big as Zane and Dinah Laban? They darker than us. Woof! By the time I'd hit my teens, though, there was a bright line. One so obvious, even a chubby ginger kid from the Deep South could see should never, ever be crossed. You could, amongst your friends, assume an accent, a voice, a mannerism, and that was bad. But you could not alter your physical appearance to take on the affect of another ethnicity. If one did, if you did, someone would quickly, quickly call you out. Dude, that's not cool. One did not take their fingers and pull their eyes into a stereotypically Asian features, nor did one roll their lips out in a racist, racist character to black people or any other myriad ways we'd learned growing up to be racist little shits in the South. Maybe it was because I'd left the South by then and was living in a multicultural community of a military base, or just because doing that shit in front of people of that ethnicity would result in a well-deserved punch in the fucking mouth. Or perhaps those two things are connected. Either way, I knew not to do it. And this was in the mid-1980s. And might lead you to reasonably assume that, say, an adult male in his 20s, graduate of a prestigious military school, attending a demanding course of study in a medical school, might also possess even this rudimentary knowledge of proper cultural behavior. She would be dead wrong. 
because it appears that Virginia Governor Ralph Northam lacked even this vital restraint at the time when he dressed as Michael Jackson to win a dance competition with his moonwalk and may or may not have dressed in blackface and our KKK robe and hood for a photo in his medical school yearbook. Can I just take a second here to say that I've known several doctors, I'm friends with them, and universally, their medical school was viewed as a massive investment in time spent learning things. Hell, I barely saw them for years at a stretch. But down in Eastern Virginia, they've got time to be compiling and editing and publishing a yearbook in addition to learning anatomy and infectious diseases. Not to mention all the racist costume parties they're apparently holding. The school published a yearbook up through 2013 when it was canceled for the following year, not because of the learning, but because of all the racist costume parties that happened in that year, 2013, when students were dressing as Confederate soldiers. Sorry, back to Ralph Norfolk. Actually, you know what? No, let's not spend a lot of time on Ralph. You've all seen the news. You know the details. And as of this recording, he has not resigned. It says he isn't going to. And you know what? That's what it is. Or, you know, that's what it's going to be. Also, we won't talk about the Virginia Attorney General who said that he confessed too to wearing dark makeup to pretend to be a rapper. Or nor shall we definitely discuss the Lieutenant Governor who now has multiple credible allocations of sexual assault against him. I'm not going to get into their entire problem of... So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go Because that is for the people of Virginia to decide, not me. Instead, I'm going to focus on another question. Why does this shit keep happening? White people, am I right? Every damn year, year after year, we read the same fucking stories. White person smears their skin with makeup, done a black hair fright wig, and pull their pants down around their hips in what they consider to be a humorous manner, only to be very surprised to discover that a person of color rightfully ask, What the fuck are you What is it with white people who do this kind of things? Do they not know wrong how wrong it is? Do they not care? The only way we're going to get the answer to this is to step into a way back. Find your way back. Find your way back to a heart. Find your way back. Find your way back to a Our way back this week finds us in New York City during the 1830s, and even then, NYC was the center of theater in the young United States. Though perhaps not the kind of theater we associate with it today, they weren't doing Hamilton. Let's just put it that way. A brand new kind of stage show was taking the city by storm, the minstrel show, where, quote, white performers with blackened faces, most using burnt cork or shoe polish, and tattered clothing who imitated and mimicked enslaved Africans on southern plantations. These performances characterize blacks as lazy, ignorant, superstitious, hypersexual, and prone to thievery and cowardice. Thomas Dartmouth Rouse, Rice, known as the father of minstrelsy, developed the first show, and particularly the first popular blackface character, a chap by the name of Jim Crow. I know that name. You do indeed. In 1830 and by 1845, the popularity of the minstrel show had spawned an entertainment sub-industry manufacturing songs and sheet music, makeup, costumes, and a ready-set set of stereotypes upon which to build new performances. Blackface performances grew particularly popular between the end of the Civil War and the turn of the century in northern and midwestern cities. 
Hmm, surprising there, where regular interaction with African-Americans was limited. White racial animus grew following the emancipation when the antebellum stereotypes collided with the actual African-Americans and their demands for full citizenship, including the right to vote. The influence of minstrelsy and racial stereotyping on American society cannot be overstated. New media ushered in minstrel performances from the stage across radio and television airwaves and into theaters. Popular American actors included Shirley Temple, Judy Garland, and Mickey Rooney donned blackface, bridging the minstrel performance across generations and making blackface, racial parody, and stereotypes a family amusement, unquote. Unless you think this is just an antiquated relic of pre-civil rights movement America, allow your humble pod friend host to assure you that it was alive and well when I was a kid in the 70s and 80s. Oh, to be sure, there were no touring minstrel shows or contemporary music and movies and television were not creating new content, but all that accumulated racism of the previous century was still being broadcast all the time. Good God, Tom and Jerry cartoons were horrible even by the standards of the 70s. Why, how to do, Mr. Tom? Hurry up, honey child. Land sakes. Hurry up, honey child. Don't bother going back to try and find them now. They're all been cleaned up, overdubbed, or pulled from the airs, so only snippets of their former glory can be found, even on the internet. But look, Tom and Jerry wasn't alone. Warner Brothers and Disney's all had their own fucking crimes in this genre. And we kids sat down every Saturday morning and sucked it into our brains with our fruity fucking pebbles. And it wasn't just cartoons. There were the Little Rascals, the Three Stooges, and a plethora of old movies and television shows that contain so little racial sensitivity that it makes a modern alt-right douchebag throb in the crotch. The high watermark of cultural sensitivity from my childhood was so bad that it was a cartoon about black kids who lived in a fucking junkyard in the projects. I mean, these kids were so poor, they didn't even live in the project. They lived in a junkyard in the projects. And the kids, one of the kids had a terrible speech impediment. The leader of the group was a walking advertisement for childhood diabetes. And the host of the cartoon was a convicted sexual predator. And this was considered a group of positive role models for black youth in the 70s. Hey, hey, hey. It's Bud Albert, and I'm gonna sing a song for you. And Bill's gonna show you a thing or two. So I guess there is an argument to be made that, of course, white people are ignorantly smearing shoe polish on their face and singing Mammy. Yes, a bad one. Because by the 1990s, there was a healthy and acrimonious discussion about this very thing. The first iteration of the politically correct was a lot of people got very angry that PC people were destroying their childhood by saying, you know, that an awful lot of this old entertainment was at best dated and at worst virally fucking racist. I mean, people were legitimately pissed that Warner Brothers pulled the old Bugs Bunny cartoons where Bugs violently caricatured Japanese shoulders during the war and they were saying the PC police were destroying their childhood. Oh my God, and those people were full of shit. They were being racist dick nuzzlers, and I know this to be true because I was one of those people. Yeah! Wait, what? Oh yeah, I was one of those people that got all angry that all of a sudden we were supposed to watch what we say because someone might be offended. And it wasn't that I was a racist, it's just, you know, that it was a, I don't know, I was a, you know. And also kind of racist. Yeah, that's what that was. I mean, I wasn't smearing shoe polish over all over my face and attending a plantation party kind of racist. I knew that shit wasn't cool. But if other people wanted to do it, 
That was none of my never mind. And all of that stuff happened in the past. That was just our part of our cultural history. I didn't know shit about shit at the time because while Mammy the character in Tom and Jaren was part of our cultural history, it was the kind that belongs in books for people to study, not on Saturday morning so the next generation of kids can hoover it up this terrible message along with her goddamn Apple Jacks. At the core of whiteness in America is just this sense of obliviousness to the adverse effects of our whiteness on others. White people can at least understand the practical aspects of race in society. The civil rights movement did a great job on getting white people to understand why it's wrong to, I don't know, prevent minorities from participating in the political process. Although, when you look at it, that's actually been completely undone thanks to the Republicans. We are at least hazily aware that we aren't supposed to directly interfere in the economic lives of minorities. I mean, you know, where anybody can see us denying a black person a job. Things like that. We understand the optics of integration. Then when it comes to the cultural part, we're just a bunch of naked mole rats caught in a sunbeam. I mean, have you seen fucking Rachel Dolezal? For hundreds of years, white folks have uh, borrowed from black culture. And by borrowed, I mean, yeah, he stole all his shit, man. And it goes way back beyond jazz, which I think most white people thinks was the beginning. Let me let me use this as an example. I want you to close your eyes for a second. Now, you got your eyes closed. When I say the word banjo, what appears in your mind's eye? Ah! Right. The most white musical instrument of all, synonymous with bluegrass country and being sexually assaulted on a canoe trip. What you want to do with it? He got a little pretty mouth, thing. Do you know where it came from? West Africa. Brought over on slave ships. Want to know how it fucking gained popularity in white culture? fucking minstrel shows so not only did white people kidnap africans drag them across the ocean force them to work for our wealth stole their children terrorizing the violence disenfranchising politically and economically denied them the rights segregating the ways from us white people and all the while we've been we were doing that we were stealing their culture and using it for white people to make money and if they were lucky we might let them help us do it but for a lot of the time we were doing that shit to what wearing makeup to make us look like them fucking white people and then somehow, somehow, we find it worse by saying that it's funny. What about you? Do you find it visible? To take the same techniques and use them to get drunk at fucking parties while listening to music, we finally let them make. White people! I know! Maybe you can see why that stresses some black people out. But y'all need to understand that the reason this stupid shit happens is generations of white privilege. Take a hard look at the white people that are donning Kiwi. It's almost always upper middle class white kids, the exemplar of white privilege. Their lives are so cushy, they can remain utterly unaware of how their actions impact other white people, much less people of color. They don't see their actions as racist because dollars for donuts. There was a single black person at the party where they wore their blackface and they didn't say anything. And besides, like, I know that she's black, but she's not like that kind of black. It's offensive to be used as a fucking punchline at a frat party. It's fucking terrifying to see your elected representatives, the people you trusted to lead the government and create laws using you as a punchline at that party, and then acting all pissy at you when you come at them for it. So again, you might be able to see why black people are just a little stressed by all of this. I know the word white privilege bothers white people because it reminds them that they have it and it benefits them in every single facet of their life, but you're just not going to worry about that. And I also know that, say, 
putting some makeup on your face and pretending to be your favorite rapper is not racist on the same level as, I don't know, burning a cross on a lawn. It's stupid. It's insensitive. It makes you look like an asshole. But it's not the same as, I don't know, being Congressman Steve King. But we, as white people, need to acknowledge that blackface is a symptom of the much larger issue. Like the fact that white privilege allows us to do these kind of things and a thousand other little things that add up to making the lives of black people in this country intolerable. And while it's not a direct line from a white college kid thoughtlessly dressing as Flavor Flav to a police officer gunning down an unarmed black man, it doesn't need to be. White people continue to exist within the zone of oblivion that keeps us from recognizing the enormity of the race problem in America, indeed the world. In 2016, a Dutch artist took her photograph and photoshopped it into the images of tribal women from around the world, you know, to raise awareness. Really? Yeah, really. And then she was shocked, shocked, I tell you, to find that people thought she was being an asshole. I mean, her whole deal was that she was here to help. And who do we not want to help us? White people. That's right. Because there is nothing more dangerous than a white person who thinks that they're helping. It needs a cultural shift for white people to be knocked out of our cultural coma and realize we can't be going around doing the shit our parents and grandparents thought was okay because they were doing the shit their parents and grandparents thought was okay. And just honestly, that little bit of a jump between two to four generations takes us back to the ends of slavery and to the rise of Jim Crow. Think about that for a second. We've got to shake loose our thinking if we ever want anything like change and if it takes knocking some politicians out of office for their stupidity and white obliviousness, then so be it. It teaches the next generation to mind their shit. And I'm not saying that doing stupid shit like this in your youth should be excused or even if it is excusable. I don't know the answer to that, but partly because I'm white and partly because I don't think we as a society know. So let me start with some simple proposals. First, if you're white and over 40, you've done something you need to feel shitty about in your life. It's simply not possible if you have grown up in the world that we did and not have some kind of racially stupid in your history. If you are white and over 60, you probably just need to get the fuck out of politics. Better for you, better for us. If you're white and under 40, you probably still did some shit, but I'm betting it's not quite as bad. Talk to your college friends, check your yearbooks, ask mom to hand over all that stuff she's been holding to embarrass you and your kids for your first wife and see if you can get ahead of it. And if you're white and under 20, you're probably good, but you need to be careful of what you do when you get to college. All this assumes you're the kind of person who does not intentionally do racially insensitive shit, who does not own or wear a MAGA hat, and understands that tiki torches are for backyard barbecues only, and frankly, they are suspect because they might be appropriating Pacific Islander culture. What I mean is for white people to check their shit. Don't depend on your narrow worldview. Have some empathy. If nothing else, think about how you would feel if you saw someone pretending to be white at a party. They'd be wearing khaki cargo shorts, have on a short sleeve Oxford shirt, and some bad sandals and socks. They're dancing out of sync with the rhythm, all the while holding an IPA in a Star Trek beer koozie with their face painted bright pink. Because that's the stereotype that people are going to do because every single damn one of us has seen that guy sometimes in the mirror. I rest my case. And one more thing. It's not up to black people to help us fix our shit. It's on us. Black folks have had enough to deal with with white bullshit throughout all of history without you dumping your guilty ass on their doorstep. Get a therapist or a good bartender or an open-minded friend and leave black people alone. That is it for our show this week. 
man, what the fuck is going on in Virginia right now? Does anyone even know who's in charge anymore? At this point in time, anyone who has not committed a sexual assault while wearing blackface has a plausible chance of actually being the governor, which means we should be looking to put a black woman in charge. You know what? Actually, that's probably the answer we should just be looking for for every question. So much more shit would we get done if we had that going on. Speaking of shit getting done, if you were to rate and review this show wherever you find your podcast, we could get shit done on the charts and maybe move on up to the east side. I mean, all of my fish frying in the kitchen can be found on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast, and all of my beans burning on the grill can be found on SoundCloud at the show name and the whatthehellpodcast.com. Is my using the lyrics to the Jefferson's cultural appropriation? I don't know, I'm really starting to confuse myself at this point in time. Anyway, for me, Dave, I swear I've never done blackface. Bledsoe, producer, wears only white patent leather loafers, Gavin, and all the true, it's true, and all the fictional cultural non-appropriators on the show. We want to say, we see your white faces, and they're all painted black. Don't do that anymore, okay? We're going to kick your ass. We'll see you all next week. for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.